All right, good morning, church. Well, again, welcome to Asante Church, but for the second week and the final week, welcome back to Fight Club. Last week, we, uh, we made it two-thirds of the way through the message. Don't worry, I won't be preaching the last third today. That would be short, and you're not going to get off the hook that easy. But we learned that there is a fight in us that leads to a fight between us, and all of that is caused by the mystery point we didn't get to last week, a fight that is around us. There's a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that is taking place that is directly influencing us. And so we need to realize that that is taking place. We need to realize that there will be conflict in our lives, and we need to embrace that. We need to realize that there will be conflict in our friendships, in our marriages, in our families, in our church. There will be conflict going to two services. But a lot of times when we reach the point of conflict, we can go in it one way and say, all right, I'm going to disengage or I'm going to lean in. I'm going to engage. I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to the Father to fight for me on my behalf as I make it through this conflict and as I go about that approach healthily. So... In every step of conflict, as believers, we stay focused on Jesus. We stay unified together as a church by Jesus, and we move forward together in Jesus. So, some things you need to know about Fight Club today. If we are going to fight well, we need to fight by the rules. And I don't have eight rules like Tyler Durden. I've only got six that we're going to work through today. It's going to be a little faster than normal, so we'll, we'll be all right. We'll get through this. And that is, number one, watch your mouth. Number two, address person to person. Number three, reconciliation requires celebration. Number four, rush to reconciliation for restoration. There's a lot of Asians going on right now. Deal with your sin before others. And then sixth and finally, love and let go. We'll start with rule number one. Watch your mouth. The great hip-hop theologian DMX said it like this, don't start nothing, won't be nothing. The writer of Proverbs, most likely King Solomon, says it this way in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness that breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now there is a formatting literary uh, element here that is taking place, and it's all caused to get your attention. When the writer says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination, this is his it's like you're, you're reading an article online, and it says, check out these seven ways on how to clean your house, and number four is going to blow your mind. Basically, what this is is biblical clickbait. It just wants you, to, it wants you to say, okay, what's going on here? Let me see what the seventh one is. This is all formatting to point to number seven, which is the focus of God's hatred. He, he hates six of these things, but seven are an abomination. But look where this list starts out. This list starts out the same place that all of our issues start out at, and that is haughty eyes, which can be also known as pride. And pride leads to the rest of these things, because after pride then comes lying tongue, and then the shedding of innocent blood, and then hearts devising wicked plans, and then running to evil, and then finally, one who sows discord. What does it mean to sow discord? It means that we breed division within the church, all out of one thing, the root of which is pride, but that pride 
rears its ugly head when we are in disagreement with someone else. So we are to stay away from this because it is an abomination and it is the thing that the Lord hates the most. And when we end up in this pattern of sin, we follow the one who first fell because of pride, which is the enemy, like we learned last week. So how? How are we to stay away from this? How are we to stay away from discord? First subpoint: don't grumble or dispute. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you, may, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So, grumbling and disputing. This is something that we are to stay away from. This means that we need to watch our murmurs. This means that we need to watch our criticisms. This means that we need to watch our disagreements. Why? Because when we air these things verbally out to everyone else, what actually happens is we become guilty, not like the, child, the children of God, we actually become guilty like the children of the world. And this calls us to be the exact contrast of the world, and that is children of God. So how do we stay away from grumblings? How do we stay away from negative talk that comes out of our, our mouths and, and curses things around us? People pick up on it, and they're just vibing off of our negativity, and then they want to pile on. Well, we hold fast. We cling tight to the word of life. Don't cling tight to your own opinions. Don't cling tight to your own narratives that we can so creatively come up with in our own minds. Don't cling tight to your pride. Don't cling tight to your having to be right. Cling tight to what? The word of life. The word that will bring light to those around you. The word that will bring hope to those around you. Not death, not doom, not gloom, not curses. Have no part in sowing division. Why? Why are we to have no part in sowing division? Why is this something that is an abomination that God hates the most? It's because Jesus died to unify. We see that. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what this is saying is our division, our discord, our grumbling, our quarrels, our disputes, our hostility, all of these things stir up something that is terrible inside of us that communicates one thing and says one thing back to Jesus and that is that Jesus, your death was not enough. If Jesus, you died to unify, and that is part of your will and God's will and what he is doing in the world, and he is bringing us to himself and unifying all of us in Jesus, then every time we breed division, sow discord, that means that we are telling Jesus, Jesus, that is not enough for me. Jesus, I don't want your peace. Jesus, I want my way. Jesus, I don't want your unity. In fact, what I want is I want my division. 
Jesus, I don't want your victory. What I want is I want to wallow in my defeat. Jesus, I don't want your reconciliation to God. In fact, I'm going to stand over here, breed division, breed disunity, sow discord, and I'm going to love and cherish my hostility toward God. If we find ourselves in that place, I want you to know it's not too late to turn around. It's never too late to come home. It's never too late to turn back around. It's never too late to realize, hey, I was wrong. This was wrong. We need to move on from this and repent and turn towards Jesus. And he will always be there to forgive, always be there to offer grace, and always be there to restore, as we will see. But I also want you to know that if that is you and you find yourself in those situations within this church, if you find yourself in those situations within your family, within your marriage, within your relationships, that that's no longer who you are. You have been set free from that. Jesus died to set you free from that. Those chains that have enslaved you of sin and the temptation to lend yourself towards this negative outlook on life, you've been free from all that. Colossians 3, 7 through 9. In these you too once walked, and you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self with its practices. When Jesus forgave you of your sin, he didn't leave you broken. He didn't leave you messy. He didn't leave you dirty. He didn't leave you dysfunctional. He not only wiped you clean, made you new, put you back together whole, he restored you, and then he sent you back out and he repurposed you. You are not your old self anymore. If you have been saved by King Jesus, you have put your trust in him to put you in right relationship with God by his work on the cross, you are not who you once were. If you're not who you once were, that means we don't have to act, we don't have to operate like the people we once were. If we gave our lives to negativity and seeing everything the worst that they could possibly be and sowing discord and just letting everyone know about how we thought about everything because that was the most important thing that they needed to hear, that's no longer who we are. We move forward in Jesus. We bring life into the situation. The old has gone. The new has come. That means that we have to act like it. And if we act like it, that means that we have to have conflict like it. So on to rule number two. We address person to person. And this is so good. I had some person-to-person conflict in my life this week. Isn't that what we look forward to in every single week? It's Sunday today, but you're going to go home tonight, and you're going to say, hey, man, you know what I just can't wait for tomorrow? A little one-on-one conflict. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for someone to oppose me. I can't wait to talk this thing out. I can't wait to have to dig into my emotions and how I feel about this. I can't wait to have to admit that I'm wrong. Isn't all of this so exciting? A little one-on-one conflict. We address person to person. And I will tell you this. Out of the one-on-one conflict that I had this week, this individual was spiritually healthy. This individual handled everything in a biblical sense. And this individual left me when I walked away from the conversation thinking, you know what? I definitely didn't say that right originally in the first place. You know what? I need to go back and I need to now figure out how I need to fix that situation. But I actually left this situation, this meeting at 
fries because that's the only place that you can meet in our neighborhood right now outside of your own home. Uh, Jersey Mike's, it's too tight. It's too tight in there. I guess we could do borrows, but you pretty much have to buy a whole pizza. I don't want an hour's worth of conflict. I just want like 30 minutes worth. So we meet in fries, and man, I left that meeting feeling hopeful. I actually left that meeting feeling restored. I left that meeting feeling like, you know what? Yeah, we can make amends on these things. We can move forward in the right, healthy direction. And it was really good. I really appreciate it. So what we see here, Matthew 18, is exactly how this is to unfold. Verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. There's a lot of steps going on there. Let's break each of these down. What we need to see first is that this is between two believers. That means that we are both in God's kingdom. We live our life under God's agenda. We follow God's plan. We want God's will for our lives. That is the common denominator. That is the common factor in our lives. We are unified in Jesus. That means we are looking to the same direction, moving in that direction together. And so what we need to figure out is we kind of need to ask ourselves questions. So I want everybody to get some conflict in your head. Let's process through this together. The first question that I think we need to ask ourselves is, is this conflict about someone else? If this conflict is about someone else, then you need to then figure out who you are saying what you are saying to. Is this conflict about someone else? Okay, am I in a conversation with that person? No, I'm not in a, con a conversation with that person. Okay, well, that conversation needs to be had before other people are brought in. Otherwise, I'm just telling stories. I'm just talking out loud. People could take it in the wrong way. I could be gossiping. This could lead to slander. This needs to be one-on-one -on -one between you and the person that the offense or the sin took place with. The next thing we need to ask ourselves, is this sin or is this just personal preference? Now, did this person actually break one of God's laws and it was against me? Did I witness this person breaking one of God's laws? And as my brother or sister in Christ, I need to call that out in a gentle way and restore them and kind of put my arm around them and walk through this with them? Or can we get a little pharisaic? Can we say that actually this is just my preference, but just like the Pharisees, I'm going to get a little legalistic with it, and I'm going to say that my preference is just as high and just as valuable as God's law. I think there's a lot of times we can go into conflict one-on-one -on -one or a hundred-on-one, and we can hold our preference way up here. And so we're actually starting off in the conflict on the wrong foot with God in the first place. So we need to first figure out, okay, is this between me and this person in sin, me and this person in preference? If it is and if it is in sin, we have to figure out, okay, is this important enough for me to address? I would say, your brother or sister in Christ in sin, yes, go address it. If this is your brother or sister in Christ against a personal preference of yours, a certain way that they are doing something, then I would say take a little bit more time. Maybe pray on that thing and then address them in a healthy, probably similar manner to this. Then we kind of get into our chart this morning. You address it one-on-one. -on -one. If they listen to you and then they repent, 
we celebrate. And that is always what we want. That is the conversation that I had at Fry's this week. Now, that wasn't any sin involved. This is just some things that were communicated wrong. But man, hey, I listen to you. I hear what you are saying. I'm ready to move forward and make amends on these things. All right, party. Let's celebrate. We're at Fry's. Let's go buy a cake. I'm not sure what we need to do, how we need to celebrate that. But it can go another way. And it can go another way a couple of times. We address that person one-on-one. There is no change. And so what we need to do at this point is we need to bring some more brothers, some more sisters, some more witnesses, two or three, into the situation. Now that is witnesses. This is people that have seen this thing take place. This is not and should never be, I'm going to go tell a bunch of people how I got my feelings hurt so I can rally an entire army against this one person to let them know exactly how bad I feel about that. If you are ever in a conflict situation and you have to go raise up your own team to go against someone else, that needs to tell you that you are already in the wrong. Because if you are in the right, then the Lord is on your side and he is all that you need. But if you need to go gather up an army, it shows that, hey, you probably have a little guilt. You probably have a little fault in this situation. Gather up some more witnesses, some people that know this person, some people that love this person, some people that have seen these things take place. Address them. If they listen, if they repent, then celebrate. But if not, then what do you do? Then it escalates even further. Then, hopefully, when you bring the entire church into it, or elders within the church, or just a larger group within the church that knows this person, that has witnessed these things, you address this person, then hopefully they listen. Hopefully they repent of whatever sin has happened, and then you celebrate together. But there is a chance that there will not be change. And where there is not change, and it has now been addressed three different times on three different levels, now is something that hurts all the time, no matter what, and that is to disengage from this person in fellowship, just like the tax collectors, just like the Gentiles. All that meant was you are not to continue forward with this person. Why is that? Because if we're God's people in God's kingdom, under God's rule, following God's plan, this person has removed themselves from being under that kingship, under that headship of following Jesus. The problem is if they continue on with you, that you could become like them or they could bring everyone here down with them because they are no longer following what Jesus wants in their lives. They are no longer ready to seek reconciliation and then restoration. So we have to be careful then We want to always love that person. We want to always be ready to welcome that person back, but it will not be wise to continue on with that person. But we pray and we pray and we pray that they will reconcile because this leads to our third rule. Reconciliation requires celebration. Reconciliation requires celebration. There is an entire chapter in the Gospel of Luke that is devoted just to this, and that is Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells three stories. You got the parable of the lost sheep. I know a lot of you will probably know this just from worship songs. A man has a hundred sheep. He loses one. He goes after it. He finds it. What does he do? He brings them back into the fold. He calls everyone together, and they celebrate. The parable of the lost coin. A woman has 10 coins. She loses one coin. She lights a lantern, and then she searches for that coin. She finds it. She calls everyone together, 
and they celebrate. Now, this has me wondering, man, what kind of coin is this? We only had 10. We lost one. I'm not thinking that's too big of a deal. But then I think back to like, man, about seventh grade. You remember when they started making those quarters that were like for each of the states in the United States? And I remember the first two years I had this whole big quarter map and I'd get the quarter from the local fries. We didn't have fries in Texas. They're called Kroger's. Just so you know, they're different everywhere and they're tricking all of us, okay? It's the same company, but they did have those state quarters and I was good with that. I'd get that quarter and I'd put it in my little chart and man, I'd be so happy. But there was one time where I put it in my pocket to bring it home, to put it in that chart, and I lost it. And I never found it. And if I had found it, I would have called all my buddies around the neighborhood and I'd say, hey, let's get together, let's play some video games because I found my lost coin just like this woman. And we would have celebrated. And then you have a story that we covered last week that we were all very familiar with, and that is the prodigal son. A man has two sons. The younger son asks him for his inheritance. He goes and he spends it all in Las Vegas. And then famine happens because there's no water. There's no food. This man is beside himself. He becomes a farmhand just so that he can survive. And he is feeding the pigs one day. And he looks at what the pigs are eating, the pig slop. And he says, man, that looks really, really tasty. This is how low he has gotten in his life. And he thinks to himself, the servants on my father's land in my father's house, they were taken care of better than this. So I'm going to go home. And maybe my dad will receive me, but I just, I just want to be a worker. And so he starts to make his way home. And every evening, maybe the father goes outside and he's looking for his son on the horizon. And, and this day, the son returns. The father welcomes him in. He kills the fatted calf. They have a celebration, but not only is there a celebration, but he restores them. He gives him his cloak. He gives him his shoes. He gives him his ring, and he puts him back in his rightful place. There will be times in this church, there will be times in your life where there is conflict that leads to disengagement. And when that conflict leads to disengagement, that is a time where we pray and we pray and we pray. God, whatever it is in me that caused this, would you change that? God, whatever it is in this person that caused this, would you allow them to see that? Would you bring them back to them? And then would you bring us back into relationship together? And I don't care what the offense was. Now, there are some that we need to be wise about and maybe distance a little bit further. I realize that. But for the most part, what happened originally doesn't matter. If this person has sought forgiveness, if this person has repented, if this person has said, okay, I'm ready to reconcile. We always want reconciliation because reconciliation leads to celebration and we welcome that person in. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter if there's an awkward feeling because there's always going to be an awkward feeling until we just get past that awkward feeling and then we end up stronger on the other side of it. We welcome them back and we celebrate every single time. Rule number four, <clears throat> we rush to reconciliation for restoration. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So this and a little bit of scripture we'll cover here in just a second, show us that we forgive quickly to restore gently. We forgive quickly to restore gently. Forgiveness within this scripture is implied. This person has been caught in sin. 
And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, when a person is caught in sin, when do we forgive? And the answer is always, immediately. We need to always be ready to forgive a person of their offense against us. But forgiveness is something that is transactional. That means that I need to be ready right here with my forgiveness, but this person has to actually acknowledge their sin, repent of it, ask for forgiveness, and then we move forward. And so we forgive them in our heart, but then we wait for the healthy conflict, for the confrontation, for the face-to-face conversation, or the text-to-text, or the phone-to-phone. Does anyone use a phone anymore? Text-to-text. Okay, we'll leave it there. More than likely, what is preferred is person-to-person. You start texting somebody, they can't read your tone of voice. Tone of voice means everything in situations like this. Best way to look at this is think of Christmas time, right? We're getting ready for Christmas right now. Anybody have all their presents purchased already? No one that's willing to admit it. Anyone have like one present? We have a lot of people that are going to have terrible Christmases this year. And that's going to lead to needing conflict resolution. So we really need to listen up for the rest of this right here. Basically, what takes place when we are ready to forgive someone at any moment is that we have their present purchased. We wrap their present, we put it under the tree, and then we wait to see them to give them that present. In the same way, Jesus has purchased our forgiveness on the cross. Having been forgiven, we then forgive that person in our heart, and then we present our forgiveness to that person when we meet. Why do we forgive so that we can restore them gently. I think so often we want them to feel the pain of what they caused us to feel, and that's just not the way, not in Jesus. Restoring them gently doesn't mean that we sugarcoat anything for them. This doesn't mean that we pad the truth around them so that they don't feel the weight of the decision or the thing that they have done. This means that we let them deal with the truth. This means that we let them work through the consequences of it. If we believe that we have the Holy Spirit and that they are a believer, that they have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to their life and allow them to work through that, and that will be hard enough. And so to restore this person gently means simply we treat them as we want to be treated. We don't treat them as an enemy. We treat them with love. We treat them with patience. We treat them with kindness. And we restore them with as little pain as possible, knowing that the inner turmoil is already going to be quite a lot. We not only forgive, but we address preemptively. We restore gently, and we address preemptively. We see this in Matthew 26. We see this in the Passion narrative. We see that Peter denies Jesus. We see that Judas betrays Jesus. What happens before any of these things take place? Jesus knows it's going to take place, and he addresses it. Hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. No way, Jesus. I'm absolutely not going to deny you. Hey, Judas, you're actually going to go betray me tonight. No way, Jesus. I am absolutely not going to betray you tonight. Both of these men had an opportunity at reconciliation. Both of these men had an opportunity to stay away from the sin beforehand. Jesus is basically checking the relationship. Hey, are we good here? Hey, I feel like something is off in the relationship between us. I need to know that we're good before we move forward. Now, Jesus, everything's good. I won't be doing any of that nonsense. And then they go forward and they sin anyways. Both men are addressed. Both men still sin out of pride. But then what happens? One repents and he is restored. The other 
removes himself from fellowship entirely. Whenever you get the chance, in relationships across the board, anytime you feel like there's something that is off, hey, I don't feel like you're telling me everything. Hey, you've been a little distant. Hey, you seem a little cold. What's taking place here? Offer a chance at restoration. Offer a chance at reconciliation so that you can address something before it ever blows up on you, and then you have to work through it even harder. Rule number five, deal with your sin before others. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with that measure, you will use it to be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Quite simply, if conflict is the big game that we're all getting ready for, self-evaluation is the practice. Any game, any big sporting event that has ever mattered, people practice for. Chances are, if you were ever on a team at any point in your life, you had practice. If you never had practice, you had a bad coach. And I'm sorry, that's not how it's supposed to work. We practice because it means something to us. When it comes to conflict, the practice is the act. It is the art of spending time identifying our own sin. Jesus, what is going on in my life? Jesus, what is going on in my heart? Jesus, will you identify these things that I don't even see myself? Jesus, will you help me to work through these things? Jesus, I submit these things before you. Will you get rid of them in my life? And then, at that point of having dealt with your sin, before you go knock the other person over because of the big two-by-four sticking out of your eye when they only have a little bit of sawdust in there that needs to be addressed, we take it before the Lord and we address that person, not from a place of self-righteousness. I think of so many times in my life where I've gotten into conflict and it's not gone right, and it's been from a place of self-righteousness. Oh, I would never do that, so now I'm going to be so harsh on this person because, man, how could, they, how could they ever even think to do that? When if we take time, we introspectively identify the sin in our lives, then we realize, oh, I've actually I've been given a lot of grace in my life from God. I've been given a lot of grace from other people in my life that have seen this and not been near as harsh on me as I am wanting to be on this person. And then we actually address that person with grace. Sixth and final rule, love and let go. Something that I have experienced time and time and time and time again in my life, and 99.9% uh, all in my marriage. Me and Rachel have never fought once, but if we did, it would be because she didn't love and let go, because we've never uh, fought before, because she always loves and lets go. That's, that's, that's a half-truth. That's a half-truth. There's definitely some conflict going on there sometimes. But more often than not, I experience her grace, and it shows me the grace of Jesus. First Peter 4.8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We can hear this, and I think the, 
conflict avoiders in us, and certainly the conflict avoiders in the room can be like, yeah, that is my verse. We've been talking about addressing conflict after addressing conflict and how to do that rule after rule after rule. Finally, this is the scripture for me. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. We can probably look at this and say, hey, this is my ticket out. This is my way that I don't actually have to have conflict. And I would say that is not the case. To avoid conflict is to cowardly skirt around it, to dive into conflict, not saying that you enjoy it because that's, that's a different disorder entirely, to dive into conflict, deal with it healthily. That is courageous. And so when we let love cover a multitude of sins, this is an active thing that we do. This is not passive. When we let love cover a multitude of sins, what we are doing is we are killing our pride. I want you to think of something that maybe someone in a relationship with you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. We had Thanksgiving this past Thursday. There's probably a lot of offenses that we can take into consideration this morning. Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your kids. There's that one thing that just drives you crazy, right up a wall. Think about that thing. Now, think about how addressing that thing, because it's a preference, not necessarily a sin, may be completely out of pride. That thing drives you nuts, but it's not anything that they're doing intentionally that's wrong. It's just something inside us that it just doesn't sit well with. Or maybe think of an argument you've had, probably with your spouse, maybe with a coworker or a family member, where they said something. It wasn't necessarily wrong. It wasn't necessarily mean, but the way you heard it, you interpreted it as wrong, and then you absolutely lashed out at that person. I mean, you just went full-blown attack mode. When I think about my life, I think there's, there's a few times, a few hundred times where that has happened. And I think, man, if I just hadn't have done that. But more often than not, when I do that, what I'm met with is love covering a multitude of sins. I'm met with love and grace saying, you know what? What you just did, what you just said, that hurt. But I'm not going to address this right now. I'm going to let my love cover that because I know that you didn't actually mean to say that. I know you didn't actually mean to hurt me when that came out of your mouth. I know you don't actually want me to feel the way that what you did actually makes me feel like. And so I'm going to allow love, I'm going to allow grace and mercy that I've received to cover the sin that you've just committed because I know that's not you. I know that's the old you. This isn't the new creation. And so I'm going to let it go. And when we do this, we let the offense go, but we actually let God take it. We don't disengage from the conflict. We actually engage by saying, God, this isn't on me to handle right now. This is on you to handle. Remember the Holy Spirit in here, the Holy Spirit in there, same spirit. God, go to work in them. God, bring conviction. God, make it to where this doesn't happen again. Help this person to work through it. They are your child in which you care about. When we let go, when we let love cover a multitude of sins, what we are actually doing is joining Jesus and saying what he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have been forgiven much. We need to forgive much. Reconciliation is so important to Christians because as Christians, we have been reconciled to Jesus. And so there are two places we can be in this room. 
we can be out of reconciliation with God because we haven't trusted in the work of Jesus to save us from our sin, from the things that we need forgiveness from. And if that's you and you've yet to put your trust in Jesus and you would like to do that today, you feel God calling you into a relationship with him to settle some things in your life, then let's talk that through before you leave today. Check that box on your next steps. It says on the connect card, I'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus. I'd like to follow him. We'll talk that through. But I'm thinking more often than not, and probably what we have in this room today is we have a lot of believers that have dealt with conflict in a lot of ways that isn't the right way. It's certainly not the biblical way, and it hasn't been the healthy way. And I would say if that is us, certainly me, that we need to seek forgiveness. We need to ask for forgiveness from the person that we offended. We need to ask for forgiveness from the Lord. And we need to go to that person, and we need to address that offense. We need to address the offenses in our hearts. We need to take that before the Lord and say, Lord, I've hurt other people, and I know that that hurts you as well. Would you forgive me? And would you help me to move forward with this person by Jesus and the work that he displayed on the cross for my sin? Would you help me to move forward with this person in relationship, in direction of your mission for us in your life, which is unity together? Would you reconcile us? Would you restore us just as you have reconciled me and restored me as your son, as your daughter? Let's pray.